0: Three,
1: two, one, go sweet this is Start mindsets episode 46 i believe yep so i don't know how we got all the way to 46 it's, it's, it's crazy um but this one's a really good one because uh i met this founder at silicon valley venture bridge i believe um through another friend of mine min chen who was also part of that i think group of uh founders doing cool things at carnegie mellon um so yeah, this guy's an alum of Carnegie, or I mean, I'm not sure if he's an alum, but he did go to Carnegie Mellon and uh, he has a great startup, which is formerly known as Delta Trainer. Uh, and now they're called Copilot um, and they're doing something where you can have a personal trainer on your wrist and have a better fitness experience and uh, be healthier um, through through the coaching. But without further ado, uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Matt Spatel into the podcast. Happy to have you here, Matt.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much, Dan. I'm, uh, I'm super excited to be here and Yes, I am officially an alum of CMU. I did manage to barely graduate. It was close. It was close, but we made it out.
1: <laughs> man, kudos to you, man. That's, that's a hard school. I, I had a friend, I think, from childhood who went there, but that's awesome. Um, what uh, Can you, I guess, just talk to us a little bit about what you're building with Copilot and, and uh,
2: how did sure. it start? Yeah. So, you know, Copilot today is uh, first and foremost, a one-on-one remote coaching experience. And so we, we take this stance on the very, you know, noisy fitness industry that there are so many digitally enabled products out there that can build you a workout that can, you know, give you an entertaining experience. Uh, help you burn some calories. Right. But there remains this set of of human problems around fitness of accountability and motivation and self confidence and anxiety and you know there's really not a great solution out there for those problems because you know despite our best efforts as engineers you know software is pretty bad <laughs> at solving those problems and so our unique sort of stance is that you know by making the core product not a piece of software but by making them a human we have a unique ability to to solve those problems, uh, and so it's not necessarily about you know a hyper personalized workout with some crazy you know tech behind it. Although we <laughs> do right. have a, we do have a bunch of cool technology to you know give our coaches superpowers, we say. Um, but it's all really about building a connected human experience that helps people build you know healthy habits and and have a greater level of well being.
1: Uh, that's pretty cool. I mean. I uh, I actually tried it out for a month or two and and got to see like awesome. you know how uh, the app worked on the the Apple Watch and it was pretty awesome. I think just my my personal story with fitness is uh I guess I did sports in high school and then there was a really cool gym in college and I'd use it whenever I could. But there was like I think like you know in general people do struggle with the structure of you know you walk into the gym and just tr- trying to know what to do and how that's gonna you know help you reach the goal is kind of where the, the murkiness comes from uh, with you. I want to hear like, where did you get this idea? Cause I know you started in school and um, uh, you know, you were still, I guess in college, right? So how did uh, being a student and a founder of a startup, how, how that kind of, kind of come about?
2: Yeah, great question. So, I mean, just a little bit of background on myself, like I've been, you know, I I say building random shit and trying to sell it to people. So <laughs> you know, back in back in middle school, I was I was that that guy who was making his own video games, putting them on a CD-ROM, and you know handing them out during lunch. And I took that energy with me, you know, through high school, through college, and I always had you know little startup-y type ideas that I was testing out and developing, and um, you know, as I got farther through college, you know, closer to the real world, if you will, I became more and more sure that what I wanted to do in the world was uh, was to build a company from the ground up um, and execute on, you know, a, a mission that was very close to one of my passions. And in this case, the passion that we were centered on was just my myself and my co-founder, Gabe, who was one of my childhood best friends. We had a shared passion around fitness and strength training and sort of a, a journey we had gone through together uh, in that realm. And so one summer I was you know, working a random internship at a robotics company. I, that was my undergrad was you know, systems engineering and robotics engineering. And during lunch, we would always throw around these ideas for companies, <laughs> not, or not really companies, but projects we wanted to build. And one of them was simply the idea of using the Apple Watch and other wearable devices and the sensors within them to be able to automatically track and detect everything that went on during someone's workout, because me and Gabe were frustrated by, you know, wow, these watches really only cater to people who want to run and bike and swim. (laughs) What about like everything else in fitness? Like, are they just not even Uh trying to track these? Right. And it turns out it's very hard (laughs) to track the rest. Um, But we started writing the initial software that would, you know, detect a set and estimate the number of reps performed and the pacing and the range of motion of certain exercises. Right. Um, And what we learned very early on was that just measuring all of these numbers uh, and details of a set and regurgitating them to a user was not solving a sort of fundamental problem for 99% of the people in the gym. Like it it was a cool, sexy, nice to have thing because, you know, it was machine learning and it would spit out (laughs) cool numbers and it was automated. But at the end of the day, the fundamental problems we found that people were struggling with were you know self-confidence uh, lack of knowledge uh, baseline accountability and motivation to actually start a workout or even get to the gym that day right uh, and so we that's all of us yeah uh, and you know we started developing this thesis around like what I said earlier of you know wow well we actually tried to solve those problems with technology first we tried to make hyper-personalized workouts and very strategic reminders and like all of these things to try to get people to be motivated and accountable to start making the, to start moving, to just start doing something. And we found that technology was just, was not cutting it, it was not doing it. You know, people who were not motivated could not be motivated by technology. And so we, me and Gabe decided to pretend to be certified personal trainers and uh, train some of these initial users as human beings. Under aliases, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this crazy shift, where suddenly the people who were not that engaged and didn't care that much and weren't even doing any workouts, they suddenly felt this obligation and this interest um, in the relationship we were building with them as coaches to go and start doing things. And that's really when you know the co-pilot we know today was born. Was when we realized the power and the value of a human connection and a human relationship in this kind of world. So. Since then, it was just a wild roller coaster ride of figuring out how to go from you know me and Gabe pretending to be some coaches, yeah, yeah, yeah. To having a, an infrastructure that can serve uh, many thousands of clients at once. Yeah, I guess you know, Matt. How do you think about you know because
0: generally, like you know, people think about startups and it's kind of you know you don't want as much humans in the loop, right? Like you want as less <laughs> as possible to have actually people doing this, but you kind of went the, the opposite direction. Uh, does that make your, yourself harder, or, or you know, to pitch, let's say, to investors because you're kind of becoming the antithesis of what people's perception of a scalable business is. Obviously, with users and engagement, it makes sense, but I wasn't sure if you had any feedback from the market as you tell this story, right?
2: Yeah, no, that is a very like astute observation. That you know, I, I joke and say, I can tell whether an investor is is good or not if they ask the question you know, well, how long until you can get rid of the humans, right? If they ask that question, they totally miss the point, right? Yeah. And, and they're too focused on this, this supposed future of complete automation, um, where, you know, obviously we take, like you said, sort of the opposite stance of, you know, yes, we will continue to automate um, more and more away from humans in general, but, you know, emotionality and authentic connection is, you know, almost impossible to simulate, right? You know, the, in the theoretical experiment of let's say you have a machine that can completely act exactly like a human being, right? And you form a relationship with that machine. If for even one second you find out that that thing is not a human and it is in fact a machine, I would wager that the vast majority of the population would suddenly lose all of the beneficial effects they would have from having that relationship. And that's just how our brains are hardwired, at least for the foreseeable future, right? You know, maybe fast forward to Westworld-like future, <laughs> if you've seen Westworld. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's it's an interesting theoretical question. In terms of the practical, like, you know, what problems does that cause for a business? How does that make it harder to run? Like, it makes it really freaking hard to run. <laughs> because not only do we have to build all of the traditional startup components of you know, software and sales and acquisition and and growth and and these things. But we have this entire other component of our business that is dozens and dozens and dozens of coaches who are full-time on payroll, you know, with a relatively large management team, a relatively large amount of bureaucracy (laughs) for um, a startup of our stage, right? Um, And obviously that incurs a lot of cost, right? That makes our margins work but it's all going into this big trade-off equation of you know I always say the average fitness app loses about 93% of their active users in the first month mm. um uh, like in contrast um and in, in recent months here we've been losing about 5% of our active wow. users in the first month uh and so economically it all works out in the end. You know, our, our users pay a lot more. They stay for way longer than anyone who's using a fitness app would. Um, but in return, we have to pay a, a bureaucratic sort of <laughs> managerial cost uh, in our margins.
1: Yeah, I know I absolutely love the point you know you made where um, you know people having you know a real person to kind of have a relationship with that that kind of is a lot different from a robot and, and that's that's really you know something that uh, i guess technology is known for taking away right but i think you know you guys uh, take you know
0: a i i i kind of think about it from the customer service point of view right like remember dan like you when you what you have a really critical question you call a customer <laughs> service line and what you yep. hate is like Basically like five minutes of uh, IVR, right? Like yeah, in yeah. the end it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, our step one, step five, blah, blah, blah. And then in the end it makes you go through a voicemail that right? you just get really mad. But imagine if you just like press one button and actually it's a human talking to you and you complex answer, then literally in two minutes done. Like yep. the environment is just much more different. So yeah, that's something, you know, when I was in uh in Schwab, that's something we we thought about that we really wanted like if ever really see that the customer really needs an answer quick then it goes to a human and not like some robot right uh you know so Pretty interesting uh, there, there's some times <laughs> that you, you need uh you know a human right uh to solve and maybe especially for this which is healthcare, which is so personal uh, it makes sense to have a human in the loop you know
1: yeah yeah. well matt here's my next question uh so you know i i guess like um going th- through your profile, I mean, uh just getting to know you from the demo day that you guys had, you, you were kind of the youngest uh, person, kind of you know, pitching, right? What, um, what uh, exactly was it like doing this while you we were at school at the same time, and I guess getting over an extra hurdle of you don't have a, you know, technically you don't have a, the, 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 what do you call it, the pedigree that people want to see, or you know, like, I mean, I know Mark Zuckerberg did it, right, and they're wearing a Facebook shirt, but. But what um, was that challenging for you at all? Just uh, having to work through, I guess,
2: yeah, sort of that yeah. perception of yeah, good good one. I think two like sort of two questions in there. like one is the balance of student versus entrepreneur just from a time perspective is a very, very difficult one. And I talk a lot with like Carnegie Mellon students about that balance. Um, and sort of the the reality of that was, there was a period where I definitely consider what we were doing an exploration, a project, you know, sort of a research exercise we were doing to evaluate, you know, how serious we really wanted to be about it. And then there became a point where, you know, we either had to sort of slow it down and and turn it off or jump into the deep end, you know, head first. Uh, And you know, we obviously decided to, to jump into the deep end. Uh, we, <laughs> saw a lot of, we saw a lot of potential with the initial tests and excitement we had for the idea as well. Um, but then that makes it nearly impossible to actually apply yourself as a student if you truly jump into the deep end of, of starting a startup. And so, you know, I always tell people, like, you know, if you really want to get the company off the ground while you're at school, you're going to have to be okay with getting C's and D's and everything and just barely scraping by and doing the absolute bare minimum. Uh, Because if you try to balance, you'll be the master of neither. Um, And so like, it's fine to to prioritize school and do it as an exploratory project. I see that all the time. That is awesome. That is a great way to learn. If you want to get the company off the ground, if you want to raise money, if you want to like hire people, you better be all in, right? And you better be basically not a student. You, You can either drop out, completely or what we did was kind of take turns where I <laughs> no, did my last semester and uh, finished my degree in, um instead of doing the full last year I just did one semester to finish everything and I it is not exaggeration to say I never did a homework assignment I never showed up to lecture I only showed up to exams for that quarter uh, or for that semester and I think I got like Three C's and a D or something, just by like barely doing good enough on the exams alone. Uh, (laughs) And then uh, Gabe did the same the next semester, and so we always at least had one founder full time as well, which was which helped a lot.
1: Oh, that's so interesting!
2: Wow, yeah. That, but yeah, so that's how that's the balance of student the the age component. um, I would say like it definitely does come up. But, you know, as you alluded to, especially in West Coast investors, there's definitely a willingness to take a jump on, um, you know, exceptional young founders, Uh, like almost the the sort of biases that come from a pedigree can be detrimental, especially when you're taking, like we're taking, as you pointed out earlier, we're taking a pretty big sidestep from how a lot of big companies would probably try to approach personalized coaching, because they would look at something like scaling coaching force and say like, oh, that's way too much work. Oh, the margins will never be high enough, blah, blah, blah. Right. But you almost have to be uninformed enough to do crazy stuff at the beginning. Um, and so the fact that we didn't have experience <laughs> being out, Google or Facebook or Netflix or, you know, whatever Amazon would do it, um, I think it actually helped us be more bullish of what we could actually build in the company. Um, because, you know, even today, even when we've achieved, you know, a pretty meaningful level of scale, we still have people saying like, oh, well, like, I don't, I just don't think this model works, you know, like, oh, this, you know, this, you know, Apple would never do this, right? Blah, 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 right? It's like, well, yeah, Apple would never do this, because you know, that's it's not in their playbook, right? But we're writing this playbook. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pros and cons. But overall, I'd say it hasn't, it hasn't been the main reason, it hasn't been the biggest problem, <laughs> for sure, um, that we faced.
0: Yeah, hey, Matt, I'd like to pull a thread on what you mentioned, which is like, you know, you were in school, you know, you need to be all in, you even took the risk to kind of even sacrifice your grades. I mean, you know, in an environment where, you know, probably some of your classmates are getting offers from large companies, tech companies, right? Um, what, what gave you the courage to like, you know what, I'm going to pursue this thing that I did in undergrad and, and go all in versus, which to be honest, a lot of students that asked me for advice, like, you know what, I'm gonna do this. I'll see, but then if I get an offer from Google, like right. you know, that was a good project. <laughs> and they always that, join right?
2: Google, yes, yeah, yeah, right?
0: Uh, yeah. What not, right? Yeah. Like, why, why did you take that path versus, let's say, and, and get, you know, um, uh, I don't want to say distracted, right? Uh, from you know, seeing all your other classmates, like you know, what? I'm just gonna take, you know, the the normal engineering path, you know, to a large company. Uh, or, or work, let's say, for uh, you know, a fast-growing startup, instead of actually pursuing what was, you know, what you were doing in undergrad, right?
2: Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think um, you know something. I think I saw on like a, a YC podcast or something was a quote of, you know, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur because you want to, or you want one of the outcomes of being an entrepreneur, like most commonly money, right? Like is what people want when they become an entrepreneur. You should only become an entrepreneur if you need to become an entrepreneur. And what I mean by that is even in my, like, (laughs) I mean, even in doing projects in school or working for internships, I almost always felt like I was just gonna go crazy if I had to work one more day at that internship, if I had to work one more day on that stupid project, right, <laughs> it wasn't my idea. Right. And, you know, you know, obviously, like you could say, oh, well, you have a problem with authority. It's like, well, yeah, I don't really like authority. Right. Um, but I also have a problem <laughs> with working for something that I don't truly believe in. That is not one of my top, you know, two priorities in life or in the world that I want to see realize, you know. If I, if I could find the perfect company that aligned perfectly with my vision of the world, you know, you know, maybe I could be somewhat content there, but it just seems so obvious that, you know, I would be amazingly depressed if I worked for Google or if I worked for Amazon. And like, that, that is something that is unique to me, right? Um, you know, many of my friends have built awesome careers going to those companies and are extremely content with you know working the nine to five, the awesome benefits, the awesome pay, they get they have they have a good impact in the projects that they're working on, right? And like that's awesome, right? But I know that for me personally, I would be a mess if I was in that situation. And I get so much more excited to get out of the bed, get out of bed in the morning and make a difference working for my own idea and for my own company and making that a reality. So, you know, that is, that is the driving force. It's almost out of necessity rather than, you know, oh, I believe in this or like, oh, like, I, I think I can make this work. It's like, no, I need to make this work because this is what I was meant to do.
1: No, I love that answer. That's, uh I think, you know, explained really well and captures really who you are as a person, as well as uh you know, your goals. And I think, uh, in these days and age, there's a lot of people quitting their jobs. So it's, <laughs> it's, 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 I guess it validates that. Um, I think one, look, some, some things that'd be great for us to talk, uh, talk about are, uh, under the umbrella of, I guess, how do you, you know, I read that you were a hackathon champion, right? Or world cha- is a world champion or is it national champion? Just
2: uh world champion. Technically. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, how do you, I mean, I, I'm sure you, you know, had taken maybe a business class or learned business, like kind of like getting people to pay you for the product that you built. But uh, how do you compare, like just contrast the, the, the life of, you know, an engineer who now needs to, I guess, scale the company and, and, you know, be the CEO. How does that, uh, how does that kind of, I mean, how do you compare those to uh, job jobs, I guess, or those hats? Yeah.
2: Um, I mean, <laughs> drastically different. Like, I I I definitely credit my technical background with being able, and Gabe's technical background as well, to working together, to be able to get the company off the ground and even prove that a concept like this could work. So, like, obviously having that engineering background was invaluable in this case, and it, the company would definitely not exist without our willingness to jump in. And, you know, I, I guess an example of what my job was like in the early days was... You know, I came from a background of robotics, hardware, and embedded systems, and that was great for like messing around with wearable devices and sensor data, and maybe even making our own wearables. Like, we were toying around with that concept <laughs> as well. Um, and then suddenly we were like, Wait, the whole core of this product experience is going to be an iOS application and a watchOS application. And me and Gabe looked at each other and we were like, Wait, neither of us know how to build apps, like, we've never built apps. We've never built servers. (laughs) We've never built databases. Like he was an ML guy. I was an embedded systems guy. Like, you know, and so there was a brief period in time where we were like, oh man, like we should outsource this or, you know, oh, we need another person to do this. But then we took a step back and we were like, wait a second, like, come on, like, we're two engineer dudes from MIT and CMU, like, we we should be able to do this, right? And so, you know, Gabe jumped into the servers and the databases, and I jumped into iOS development. And, you know, lo and behold, in a matter of like a month, suddenly we were building product, right? Um, And, you know, so that, uh, that willingness, or that willingness to not only have the engineering background and use it for what you were trained to use it for, but to jump into any aspect of engineering or any aspect of product development and build things out in a matter of days instead of like hiring people and waiting months and paying thousands of dollars, but <laughs> extremely important to our development. So whenever I meet a young technical founder and they're considering like, oh, I don't have this thing in my skill set, like I need a co-founder for this, or oh, I don't have this yeah. skill set, I want to hire an agency or a contractor for this, I always say, whoa, 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 like you're way too early to be hiring a contractor to build your product, right? It's just crazy when you think about it. So um, that is definitely a big piece of advice I give. In terms of how that's evolved to today, uh, I mean, today it is very, very rare for me to write more than, you know, a little line of code here and there to help fix something up that, you know, some mistake I made two years ago. (laughs) Um, But, um, and in fact, I take great um, sort of excitement and pride in the fact that our engineers almost compete to, make my code completely obsolete or completely removed from the system (laughs) because, you know, they are, they are real, you know, heavy duty, heavy hitting engineers. And I was just, you know, a hacky guy making the thing work at the time. Right. And so it's an awesome evolution to see them really take over and take ownership over the product. Um, And it's very cool for me to then take a step back and be able to spend my time not worrying about how to make the iPhone communicate with the Apple watch correctly but instead thinking about, you know, what what is the what is the mission of this company? You know, how do we actually execute that at scale? How do we you know acquire customers and build a movement within this market, right? And like these much higher level things that don't happen overnight, that can't be coded up and you know hacked yeah. together, right? Um, but have such bigger impact across you know I mean you know millions of people in a lot of these cases that are that are viewing these things and interacting with these things, right? And tens of thousands of people that are getting this coaching, and so it's 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 really cool to have that level of impact. And again going back to your last question, like, that's why I get out of bed in the morning, right? If I had continued to be an engineer, even at my own company, that's my own idea. I don't think I would be really satisfied with that. I, I like to be at that top level of, of strategy uh, and decision-making and, and keeping that boat moving in the right direction.
1: That's awesome. Just one more thing here. Uh, it'd be great to hear is like, um, congrats. on. I read you guys raised uh, like 3 million, right? Or like 3.3. Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, we we talked to a lot of people here about who, who uh who get funded. Um uh, you know, I remember I guess twenty nineteen it was you guys were pitching at the venture De- venture bridge demo day in the Salesforce yep. Tower, which is pretty cool. Um, but uh I guess coming from uh that point in time to I guess this recent achievement or success if you would call call it that, um, what was uh the the fundraising um experience like for you? And you know, uh, how did, what did, what did VCs say when they, they decided to, you know, click say yes? And how did that feel or how was that whole experience?
2: Yeah. Great question. Um, So, you know, early on, I would say naively. So I think we, we tried to raise money from, from serious VC investors too early. I think like most first time entrepreneurs do. Um, and so we didn't see much success right away. And you know, I think we, Over the course of about a year, we raised about 750K in what we would eventually call our pre seed. Um, And that was from a grab bag of different angel investors and some very small uh, institutional investors um, who really were just investing in me and Gabe at that point. There was nothing really investable. (laughs) They were like, maybe these guys will figure something out. Like, you know, they've got a decent chance, right? (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. Um, but, you know, they are investing in us. Um, that next chapter, um, I guess the thing that had to fall into place um, to be able to really successfully raise from an institutional investor as a, I'll say, as a direct-to-consumer company in a crowded market and as a first-time inexperienced founder, there was a lot going against us, like, in the fundraising realm, right? Uh, and so... To break through that, what we needed was a hugely compelling amount of traction from the actual business to put all of those doubts and fears to rest to say, well, it doesn't matter that we're young and experienced. Clearly, we did it, right? You know, it doesn't matter that the industry is crowded. Clearly, we're resonating with people in a way that no other brand has before, right? Um, and so we had to go and get, you know, on the order of a million dollars a year of revenue to be even be able to go and raise that first institutional money. Uh, and, you know, after that, um, and, you know, I can't say too much about it yet. Um, but, you know, there are some very exciting fundraising things going on right now for the company and have been, you know, finalized now for the company uh, that we'll be announcing soon. Um, but uh, that journey continued of, you know, it, it becomes more and more about the economic machine that your business is—the inputs, the outputs, the level of you know top line yeah. scale—is achieved, and less and less so about you know oh Matt and Gabe and this level of experience and this this initial technology, right? And so it's it's definitely evolved hugely in terms of the investor criteria, um, but the core thing that allowed us to raise was just saying, all right, well you know if we can't raise from a VC now, let's go prove that we can do this with what we have, which was not much, right? And then, you know, make them take, take it back, you know, a few months later when we come back to them and say, Hey, look, we did it. Right. Um, and, you know, several of our investors have that same story arc of, we met them very early on and, you know, they, they said, okay, maybe, but like, there's huge execution risk here. Like, what are the actual odds you guys, can yeah, sure. pull right. And we're like, you know, you're right. Like, let's go show you. Right. And then we would check in with them six months later and say like, Oh, and by the way, we just like 20 X the business. Right. And then we check in with them another six months and say, "Oh, by the way, we just eight x the business again." And they'd say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. We can. Where do we? Where do we write the check to?" Right. Um. So like that's how we approached, um. You know, raising, and that's where we saw success was like show, like proving it. Um. Because as a first-time founder in a crowded industry as a direct-to-consumer company, it's very hard to raise on just a vision, uh, just a story. Um. Which is not the case for some other industries and in some other situations, but for us, yeah, it definitely- sure.
1: Gotcha. Uh, you know, one thing I'd love to hear from you before we get to like the last two or three things we uh, generally ask everyone is, um, what's it like, Or uh, you know, what, what do clients say, or, you know, what do users say, um, just, uh, internally or, you know, externally about the, the product to you. Cause I, I mean, there's some exciting stuff, right? Like people are losing weight here. People are, you know, maybe getting rid of their heart disease or, um, stuff like that. Right. Which is maybe, you know, you're adding, um, you know, a lot of, uh, uh what do you call it um you're making people's lives better so so what what are some of the things that you've noticed from I guess maybe the not even the data side but just maybe the user the person who's using the the the, the app what 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 are some things you've kind of garnered and (laughs)
2: this is a topic that you know is super exciting for me and cool to see with my own eyes every day that you know it's obviously, you know, flashy to look at the, Oh, this person lost 40 pounds. oh this person, like, you know, did this crazy transformation. And now they have six pack abs. Right. It's like, well, hmm. that's also very, you know, classic fitness industry. Yeah. Like, you know, that's great. And that's, that's, you know, good for them. Right. But at the end of the day, like, we're really trying to focus on like, what we kind of call like, Journeys, like going on a journey. It's not, you know, the classic, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, right? Like we really try to embody that where, you know, sure, you can come to us with a weight loss goal, but, you know, losing that weight is probably not the actual end outcome that you're really striving for as a human being, right? Like, why are you trying to lose that weight, right? Is it confidence? Is it an anxiety you have around society seeing you at a certain weight? Is it, you know, a health reason to like, be more healthy to stay around for watching your kids grow up or your grandkids, right? I'm like, there's all these reasons why someone might want to lose 40 pounds. So it's really not about losing the 40 pounds. It's about all the underlying things that actually gives that person a higher level of well-being. Uh, And by approaching it that way, it also becomes way easier to to not fail, right? Because if you step on the scale at the end of week two, and you're not quite on pace with losing that 40 pounds, you might give up, right? Like I've given up little yeah. weight loss things I've done over the years when I've seen not a great <laughs> like initial result. I'm like, ah, oh, okay, I'm going to go, go out and eat now. Right. i challenge over. Right. But if instead you're like, instead, if you focus on, well, I'm, I'm moving better now, I'm feeling more, more confident now I'm feeling a little stronger now. Right. You know, you know, okay. Maybe I only lost a pound, but like, who cares? Right. Like all these positive effects I'm having that we have on the users that are not just these very explicit fitness goals is definitely the coolest part, right? And so, like you know, like one one of the coolest stories that will always stick with me is a father uh, client who was started training with us. They had a lot of you know joint pain. They you know did did they were I think you know slightly overweight, but that was not sort of like their main goal. But just in working with their trainer. Holistically, over the next, I think it was about a five-month journey um, to this endpoint. He described, well, not endpoint, but uh, measuring point. He described was, you know, he he sent this email to us where he said, you know, I have to thank you guys because for the first time in my life, I was able to go to my daughter's karate class and I was able to, you know, participate with it and I was able to, you know, block her punches and get down on my knees and like oh, wow. know, experience this with my daughter. And I literally never thought that that was going to be in the cards for me again. And it just brought me such satisfaction as a, as a human being and as a father to be able to experience that with her. And, you know, I'm literally crying right now because yeah, yeah, far, right? it was like, yeah, yeah. you know, this was fairly early on too. And we all just kind of took a step, you know, and we sat back in our computer chairs, stopped coding for a second and we were like, wait a second. Like, and you know, this is about so much more than just like, you know, optimizing someone's fitness routine, like this is, I I can't think of a more literal way to like change lives than like that kind of level of emotional satisfaction and like, you know, enjoyment and in your life. Right. So that kind of story is always what will stick with me is like, nice. Why we do this and and the most impactful.
0: Yeah. Good. So Matt, I think we, we end typically this, this podcast with three major questions, kind of like a mini lightning round. Right. So Mm -hmm. Um. first question is, if you had to give advice uh, to yourself uh, as yourself as a freshman in CMU, what's your like one or two lines to give, you know, freshman CMU math, uh, knowing what you know right now?
2: Uh, spend less time worrying <laughs> about pitch decks and raising money and more time about building a core value that people actually want.
0: That's awesome. Um, and then maybe my last question, and I'll turn it over to Dan, is you know, if you had to describe your personal startup mindset, uh, what would it be in one or two sentences?
2: Ooh, that is an interesting one. Yeah. one my, my Personal startup mindset. I mean, I think I'll kind of echo some of the topics we've touched on is that you know, my mindset definitely revolves around really knowing the reason you get out of bed in the morning, because if you lose sight of your your reason for doing all of this, if that becomes misaligned with the actual mission of what your company is trying to do in the world, then I think you're almost destined for failure, right? You know, st- startups on paper die for many reasons, right? But I think almost all of those reasons can be traced back to a founder or a large group of employees having a misalignment between, you know, the why they're getting out of the bed and what they're actually doing during the day to, like, make that change in the world a reality. Uh, And so for me, it's all about, you know, purpose and impact and how that shapes my definition for what success in the world truly looks like. Great. Go ahead, Dan.
1: Wow. Yeah. That was so awesome, man. I mean, just thinking about that, I think that's uh, true in a lot of ways. And then also, you know, necessary to, for whoever it is, is attempting something uh, grand and or even just not so grand. Yeah. It comes comes into play.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I hope, I I would think that that philosophy could be applied to nearly any profession, to nearly anyone. Uh, I mean, even doing things in your personal life, right? Like, you know, any any relationship you have, any goal you have for yourself or your family, um, you know, I think looking through it, looking through it that lens of making sure the actions that you're taking every day actually align with the outcome and the purpose that you want to have in the world. Um, because if you kind of just close your eyes and put the blinders on and just you know keep yeah, doing true. actions without thinking about purpose. You, you end up in not a great place. So that's, yeah. that's a good point, man.
1: Um, well, that that does about does, uh, does it for the podcast. How can how can people you know check out your um, check out Copilot and? Oh yeah, uh, um, uh, easiest way.
2: Is, well, I guess first of all, you know, if you're listening and, and would like to connect with me, please don't hesitate to to send me a connection request or follow me on LinkedIn. You can just search Matt's Patel. Um, but if you're looking to try out the product and experience Copilot yourself, head over to mycopilot.com. And I believe we're currently running a pretty sweet deal of a 14-day completely free trial um, to get a onboarding call with a coach, workout plan, um, kick it off, and start building that accountability and high level of well-being. So check it
1: out. Well, Matt, it's been a pleasure, man. I, I mean, this has been great conversation, and looking forward to seeing what else happens with the uh, the company. Awesome, guys. Yeah,
2: yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me on. It was a blast. Thanks. Awesome.